when I was a, um, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Memphis, which is a basketball city. I think every place I've lived has kind of a dominant sports culture. And our dominant sports culture in Memphis was basketball. And so I grew up in a neighborhood where people rarely ever moved in or out. And we had about 30, uh, I'm not exaggerating, we had about 30 kids in, our, in, a, in a few blocks. And man, we just kind of grew up together. And there was a pretty wide age range, you know. I, I, I think there was maybe... 12 or 15 years between all of us, but we had this incredible 4th of July bottle rocket war every year where, you know, you'd get to a certain hedge line and everybody on that side was against everybody on this side, and it was incredible. And so we grew up running the streets and playing basketball, and here's the thing, though. Of all 30 kids, guess who was the youngest? I was the 30th. Now, you might think it's good to be the baby in a family. It is not good to be the baby in a neighborhood where kids are running the street. Because you get the, 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 the wrong end of everything. So when we would go to choose you know, basketball teams, because that's what we did, I, I was always the youngest and almost always the shortest. And so you can figure out how that goes in basketball. And so you know you start to choose teams, right? And I'm there... You know, somebody pick me, you know, I'll do good. And you learn to get a really creative hook shot when you're short like that. And so uh, somebody pick me. And there's nothing worse than the feeling of just watching the people flying by, you know, him, 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 and the numbers are going down, you're just there. Yeah. It's okay, I've been through counseling, I got better. And, and, and then they say, all right, you know, there's two of you left. They're like, oh, could you just take both of them? You know, all right, come on over here. Yeah, n nobody likes to be picked last, right? Well, when I was in college, I had a, a really cool opportunity. I was a part of the student government, um, which is really ironic if you know my personality at all, how I wound up in there. Uh, but um, the president, the student government president of our college, we went on a retreat, and you know he he'd done a really good job. And he came to me in private, and he said, "Hey, this is my last year as student government president, and um, I'd really like you to take my place." I thought, "Really? That's awesome." So it feels really bad to be picked last, but it feels really good to be picked first. Now it's a long story; we don't have time for. It. I never I never became the student government president, but. I was picked. That's, that's all that matters. It doesn't really matter. But I was picked. Did you know that God has chosen you? There are incredibly important things that God wants to get done on the earth. And you are his first choice to do them. He's chosen you. John 15, 16 says it like this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So in the church, we oftentimes refer to this choosing as a calling. And unfortunately, for centuries, we have misunderstood this idea of calling as being something for pastors or missionaries or, you know, People like that. 
But the word call is used in the New Testament over 150 times. Either the word call or some form of the word call is used over 150 times. And it almost always refers to all Christians. All Christians have a calling. If you're a Christian this morning, you have a calling. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you, you could have a calling. Your first call is to come to Christ. So you have, you have that calling. But as you come to Christ, if you come to Christ, if you decide to give your life to Him, you will simultaneously receive another calling for your life. So in this series we've called Unique, we've been saying, what makes you unique? Well, first we said God made you. You are unique among all creation. The next week we said God saved you. You have a unique identity on the earth as a son or daughter of God. Last week we said God gifted you. You have unique strengths and gifts that God gave to you, and there's nobody else exactly like you. So today we, we want to continue to build on that or kind of narrow the funnel on based on how God created you, based on how God saved you, based on how God gifted you, God has now called you. You have a unique calling. He's chosen you. Why did he choose you? John 15, 16 that we read says that you might bear fruit that will last. So, so if you got something to write with, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning and a lot of points so if you want to take something out and jot some of these thoughts down, some of these you'll need to think about. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why created in Christ Jesus? To do good what? To do good works. And when did God decide the works that we would do? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're chosen. You're called. God didn't start thinking about you when you just turned 15 or 20 or got your license or could vote or, or got a job. He was thinking about you before you were born. And he prepared things for you to do before you were born. Matthew 5, 16 says it this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see who? Whose good deeds? Not God's. Your good deeds. God has specific works for you to do. Ephesians 4.1 says it this way, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You know who that verse is written to? All Christians. The question is, are you living a life worthy of the calling that God has given you? Well, in order to do that, you have to know what that calling is, right? Now, I think this is a very very important subject and too often overlooked in the church. What we're actually talking about this morning is what should you do with your life? And we oftentimes talk about that in the context of people who are going into vocational ministry, but we don't often talk about it in context of everybody else. And what I want to talk about this morning is what's the application to all Christians? When it comes to how people look at their work, Researchers have categorized all of us into one of three categories, and I just want you to identify which one you're in this morning as it relates to your work. There's three kinds of people. Number one, those who see their work as a job with the main purpose being to provide a living. Number two, those who see their work as a career with the main purpose of advancing upward. Number three, 
Those who see their work as a calling with a higher purpose of contributing to a larger good and for the benefit of the work itself. Now here's the question, which one of those three do you think is the most fulfilling? It's, it's, it's no-brainer, isn't it? It's not the person who's just, a job is a means to an end. It's not the person who says, I'm just trying to get to the top of the ladder. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get up there. Probably jump out of a window. But I just want it at the top. Why? Because that's where you're supposed to be. But what about the person that says, this is what God made me and called me to do. That's fulfilling. Success is not fulfilling. That is fulfilling. So, how do you find your calling? Well, I want you to turn this morning in your Bible to the book of you. Turn to the second chapter, verse 4, and you'll find a verse that says, Thus says God, Chris is supposed to do this. It's not there, is it? It's not in the Bible, is it? So what are we supposed to do? There's no book of you. There's 66 books, and we didn't get one of them. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think there are some principles that we can pull from Scripture that will help guide us. So if you have something to write with, here's number one. Remember that you are working for God, not for people. Colossians chapter 3, 23, the Passion Translation says, Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. Can I tell you, when you realize that you're working for God, every task you do becomes meaningful and it becomes important. We are stewards over the opportunity that God's given us. I read a story this week about an orderly who worked at a hospital who was taking care of a man in a coma. And he cleaned the room, he changed the bedpan, then he went over to the wall and he changed the pictures on the wall. And somebody, somebody asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm an, I'm an orderly, I'm doing my job. He said, see, what I do is I bring in new pictures every week and I put them up on the wall because I'm responsible for the health of all the patients in this wing. And he said, like, take Mr. Miller right here. He hasn't woken up since they brought him in. But when he does wake up, the first thing I want him to see is something beautiful. So I come in every week and I change the pictures because I'm hoping and believing that one day he's going to wake up. That orderly doesn't have a job. He has a calling. And I believe he's doing God's work because he's doing his calling. So the first thing to understand about work is it changes your entire mindset and your whole perspective if you realize as you clock in or drive to work or wherever however that looks for you go to your laptop if you realize I, I am under the authority of my boss but I don't really work for my boss I have a higher boss I work for God it changes everything right right changes everything number two find the deeper meaning in your work Every job is in the service industry. What I mean by that is, it's irrelevant what your job is. You are called to serve someone. And if you can find the person on the other end that you are serving, regardless of what 
task you are performing on your end, it will change the way you look at work. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, God has an earth to run. (laughs) And he put us here to help run it. And so when we see that our gifts and our work is connected to God's work, we'll realize that we're actually doing God's work. I heard an incredible story this week about a man who was in the nuclear navy. Now, you may be as I was and know nothing about the nuclear navy. Uh, But the nuclear navy is is a highly professionalized, elite group of engineers whose job it is uh, to keep the nuclear power plants on our naval equipment in America up and running and safe. And by the way, in all the years and all the trips of nuclear-powered submarines and uh, ships, we've never had one accident in our entire history as a country, which is unbelievable. It's a whole story. Admiral, Admiral Rickover is the one who founded the nuclear navy. And um, here's the way that Admiral Rickover, as the, as the young guy told the story who was being recruited into the program, which is an unbelievable system of recruiting. You start with the 350 finest engineers, young minds. You narrow them down to three. You let those three work for five years, and then you pick out of those three who's going to stay. And so his first day on the job, Admiral Rickover told him, I want you to go down to the shipyard, I want you to meet me there, and this is going to be your first day. And that's all he told him. He had no idea what was going to happen. And so he got down to the shipyard, he didn't know what to expect, and as he got down there, here's what he saw. He saw uh, service personnel, dads, moms, hugging their spouses and children, Tears rolling down their face because they're going to go get in a nuclear-powered submarine. They're going to go under the ocean, and they're not going to come back for six months or eight months or however long the tour is. And, he's, and, and so he's standing there with the admiral, and he's wondering, what, 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 what are we doing here? And he said, I want you to remember those tears. Because if you don't do your job, somebody's not getting their husband back or their dad or their mom or their spouse. So I want you to remember those tears. That's what your job is. If you can connect your work with the people that God called you to serve, you will find the deeper meaning in your work. So if you're a home builder, if you can realize that you're building a home for a, a couple to have children who will one day have grandchildren who will celebrate Christmas and the important uh, issues of their life in that living room and kitchen and in that area, then you go, I'm not building a house, I'm providing a means for a life. If, 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 you, are, if you sell clothes... You might be selling the outfit to someone that they're going to go to a job interview and get the job of their life. If you're a waitress, you might be providing the meal by which a marriage will be saved. Or a deal will be struck. You are called to serve. And if you can find the deeper meaning in your serving, it will will make your serving much more meaningful. And you will be closer to discovering your call. So how do you find your call? Number three, look for the story God is writing in your life. Your whole life is a story. 
you haven't lived in separated categories. There wasn't this part of your life and that part of your life. You have one life, and it's a whole life. And it's not uh, disconnected. You're not eight people, you're one person, and this part of your life, and this part of your life, and this part of your life has something to do with your whole life. If you will look into your earliest childhood memories when you were doing something that you really loved, if you will reflect back and think, what in, my, what in my childhood brought me the most joy? When I was free to do whatever I want, what was it that I found to do that brought me the most joy that I loved the most? Inside that, you will find the ingredients of your calling. Inside that is what God made you to do. When you were left alone as a naive ch- a child and got to do what your heart wanted to do, you, you naturally gravitated work, toward what God made you to do. Uh, David was a shepherd, and he became a shepherd over Israel. Any surprise? He would sing and play as he watched the sheep, and that followed him throughout his life, and he wrote many of the Psalms, because that that's, was his calling. Jesus was a carpenter, and guess what he did? He built a team of people who launched the first church. You think that was connected? The Apostle Peter was a fisherman and probably grew up fishing as a child. And when he met Jesus, Jesus said, now I'm going to make you a fisher of people. You think that's connected? It's all connected. As a child, what were you doing when you were your happiest? God is writing a story deep in your heart. And if we can unleash it. If we can wipe the dust off of it, you will see the things God can do in your life. How do you find your calling? Number four, find your passion. I, I, I remember when the Food Network first started, and um, I was flipping channels one night, and I turned the TV on, and my uh, maybe some of you remember this or had a similar experience. My, my view of cooking shows was like, can there be anything more boring on television than watching somebody cook? You know, even the magic, how everything's already diced up and they're just slapping it in there. It takes you an hour, you know, they're just popping it in there in a 30-minute show. But I thought, there can't be a more boring thing than watching somebody cook. You know, they're stirring the pot, and I thought, I just want to eat. I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Until one night, I was flipping the channels, and I saw Emerald Lagasse. Anybody remember? Bam! Right? Kick it up a notch. He's like, we're really cooking in here. You know, he's, and I saw this uh, Portuguese guy. You know, he's hunkered over his food like this, like a mad scientist. He's throwing stuff in it, and he's throwing stuff in the crowd. He has a six-foot pepper grinder. You ever seen that pepper mill? He's, and man, I could not turn the TV off. I thought, this guy is insane, and I love it. I wanted to drink it. I watched the show for probably three or four years. I mean, I watched every episode. I loved it. You know why? I was thinking, why do I love this so much? Because he was passionate. I loved it because he loved it. The other cooking shows were like, you know, I'd really like to be outside mowing the yard right now, but instead I'm stuck in this nasty kitchen cooking on TV for you on this low-budget channel. Man, not him. 
Man, he would rather have not been anywhere else on earth. And it showed, it exuded passion. I loved it because he loved it. I remember I I got to see, uh, it was a live concert or something on TV. Uh, I got to see Garth Brooks on TV doing this, whatever it was. And um, I like, I I loathe country music. Like, I despise it. Like, I, I hate it. I don't even know why I stopped the channel. But I looked at him. And there was something about him that I went, he absolutely loves this. Like he really, and I could see the passion exuding him. Even though I didn't like the music, I liked watching him do it because he loved it. Passion is contagious. Passion is where you'll find what God made you to do. I love it because they love it. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No, but he was all in. He was passionate. People are alive. They are pursuing something. Paul, the Bible says, the apostle, wanted to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the unchurched, where the gospel had never been preached before. That was his absolute driving passion. Your calling will never be outside your passion. So what is your passion? Because if you can narrow your passion down, I promise you, your calling is inside it. Passion's important because it'll help you focus your gifts. So let's say you have um, three people who, who all have the spiritual gift of teaching. One of them has a passion for children. So they might then go and teach in kids' ministry. One may be passionate about worship. So they may go and teach worship teams or teach on the subject of worship. If you remember this name, I actually think that's what Jack Hayford's uh, calling is. He was a teacher with a passion for worship, and he wrote I don't know how many worship songs and tended, tended to teach on it. The other one may have a, be passionate about unreached people. So they have the gift of teaching, but how is that gift going to be used? It's going to be used probably in a Bible study with their unchurched neighbors. You see, your passion will focus your gifts. Your passion will help you know what to do with your gifts and where to do it. How do you find your passion? As we said earlier, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you, therefore God says be an interior designer. It's not there. So let me give you some questions on how to find your passion. What would you do for free? That's your passion. What keeps you awake at night? What do you lay there and go, I wish I could? What? What bothers you? What gets you up in the morning and says, ah, man, I'm off. I'm off. I'm off today to, to launch right into it. When people feel a calling, there are things they just do and they can't not do them. Many things will catch your eye, but few things will catch your heart. That's why you may feel passionate about something for a moment, but you will know it's your passion if it lasts, if it's a reoccurring theme, because you'll never get tired of it. Number five, how do you find your calling? Find your calling wherever it may be. You may be thinking, I can't do my calling at work. What am I supposed to do? Get another job? Maybe. But maybe not. 
Your calling may be at work and your calling may not be at work. Sometimes a career and a calling are not the same thing or even at the same place. Paul the Apostle who was called by God to tell non-Christians about Jesus and plant churches and who wrote much of the New Testament was a tent maker. That was his job. He built tents and sold them. That was his job. Now that's not why we remember him. That's why we never talk about him in church. His career and his calling were two different things, but they were compatible and they worked together, but they were different things in different places. The year I graduated high school, I stayed home and I worked. I worked at a hospital transporting patients. I worked in a men's department at a a local mall. And I did those things to make a living, but they were not my calling. On the side, I preached. On the side, I led Bible studies. On the side, I even led our entire youth group at our church for several months when our church was between youth pastors. And look, I shared my faith with my friends who I worked with. I I did my calling, but it was not my job. And I, I can tell you this, I'm not happier now than I was then. I'm not more fulfilled now. I was as fulfilled then as I've ever been in my life. You know why? I did my calling. But it was not not the same thing as my job at that time. If your calling is at your job or not at your job, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, is have you found your calling? That's what matters most. It's not where, it's what. Number six, use your gifts. How do you find your calling? Use the gifts that God has given you to find your calling. Too many times we don't find our calling because we wait too long for clarity. All right, now look, here's the word for the day. We say, if I knew exactly what I was supposed to do, come on God, just give me a clear picture and I will knock myself out doing it. Here's the deeper issue. And we prayed about it, we sang about it, we talked about it. I prayed for you this morning when I was out walking about this one subject. God does not give us clarity because he wants surrender. And a surrendered heart is more important than your gifts or your passion. You can have a passionate person driving the wrong direction with an unsurrendered heart and it will do more harm than good. A cause-driven person, it will do damage. But God can take a surrendered heart and He can do anything with it. And so the key today for you and I is not clarity. No, it's not clarity. We keep waiting for something to happen. And the years are just rolling by like lines on the road. We're waiting for insight. We're waiting for revelation. We're waiting to figure it out. We're waiting for clarity. And and the inner issue is, is because we won't surrender. What I'm saying to you is clarity will come after you surrender. Clarity will come once you move. So you're not looking for clarity for your life. You're looking for clarity for one step. And if you'll find clarity for the single next step you're supposed to take and surrender to God even though you don't know the future and take it, you will end up where you're supposed to be. But you have to take that one step. Your life is like a ship. It is impossible to steer it when it's tied to the dock. 
But if you will untie it and get it moving, you'll be shocked how that thing can pivot out in the open water. But you have to move. You have to stop waiting for clarity or insight or revelation or for something to happen or God to move you or the clouds to open or some, some big thing. You have to just in faith take a step and say, I'm not even sure, but I'm going to try it. And then you'll be surprised over time how the clarity will come. You will learn more about your calling by using your gift somewhere than by waiting on clarity to come before you move. Just ask God this morning for clarity on your next step and then surrender to it. I, I, there, we made a giant shift in our church nearly three years ago. We met as a staff and said, I don't think that we've, I don't think that we've accurately understood what Ephesians 4 teaches us as a church about how the church is supposed to work and about how, what our role as pastors are in our church. And so four years, uh, three years ago, we began to make a shift in our understanding and thinking and try to align more to a New Testament church. And that is this. My calling is not to do ministry. My calling is to help you find your ministry. In fact, my ministry is going to actually be evaluated based on how well I help you find your ministry. Because that's what my ministry is. That's what, the, that's what the ministry of a pastor is. So we begin to shift. And can I just be honest with you? It was a lot harder than I thought. And it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would take. And we're still, you know, moving. But that's how we got to this point today where we're doing a 30-serve launch. So I, in just a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss you, but I want to put some resources on the screen that you can use to help find clarity in your calling. The first one is the 30-serve opportunities that we made on this sheet are a beginning point. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have a place to serve before you leave today, I promise you if you'll take a step, you'll be shocked how God will lead you. And what you'll learn, it might not be perfect, it probably won't be. But if you're waiting for perfection, you got a long wait. Because I've never seen it. But if you move, you'll be surprised what God will do. So we talked about that. Here's another um, resource. Crown.org slash career. Okay? I, I, I'm not connected to them. I don't, I don't, I'm not in a relationship with them. I don't get anything from them. It was a resource that our family used at a time that was very helpful to us, and I'm just recommending it to you as a user, not as anybody else. Okay, it, it does cost. It is a career assessment, a whole life career assessment tool. Uh, they, they used to have two paths. I don't know if they still do it this way. One is for like a young person in high school that says, I really don't know what path I should take to advance. Another one is for career changers. People who say, I'm not sure I'm in the right role at my job, so where can I get some information on how to figure that out? It is a phenomenal tool. You can go on their website, and there's a ton of information, and I would recommend it to you if you say, I need help redirecting, or maybe I have a young person, or maybe you are a young person, and you say, I'm looking for direction. I think it would help you. Here's another thing. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app has a wonderful five-day devotional called, How Do I Find My Calling?, 
and I would recommend it to you. It's free. That's completely free. If you have the YouVersion Bible out downloaded or you can go to the website, if you will just look in their search window and put, how do I find my calling? There's a five-day Bible study there that I think is, would be rich and helpful for you. So those are just some tools. Here's the last one. How do I find my calling? Seven, focus on your primary calling. So, so here, here's where we really got to bring all this back together. This message has been all about the unique calling that God has given you. But, but here's the thing. For all the wonder of your uniqueness, your uniqueness is not your primary call. What is most important about you is not your unique calling. What is most important about you is the primary call that God has given to you, and it is something that you have in common with every Christian and every believer on earth who's ever lived. Your most important calling is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's your most important calling. And if you will build everything else on that, it will bring clarity and direction and depth and strength. Otherwise, we're just, doing, um, we're just doing causes. We're just running from one thing to another. Your most important call is to follow Jesus and to become like Jesus. You're called to be a Jesus follower. So what, who you're called to be is more important than what you're called to do or where you're called to go. So let's just talk about that for a minute, and then we'll wrap up. When you try to put the doing and the going before the being, you end up with a lot of confusion, and that's why we have a bunch of college students who will rack up over $100,000 in debt. They'll get out into a career. They'll get in their late 20s or 30s, and they'll go, I hate this. Now what am I going to do? Because they never understood who it was that God called them to be. They skipped over that and jumped to the do and to the go. To the, to the what and to the where. The, the who is the most important thing that you and I can figure out. Fulfillment is never going to be found in your unique calling alone. I, you might have caught this video. Um, Trey Gowdy, uh, it's not a political thing, but he made an incredible statement, I thought, when he was speaking somewhere, and he said, this is a question that I ask myself regularly. Listen to this question. Are you a Christian who happens to engage in the civic process or are you a Republican or Democrat who happens to attend church? Who are you? What is your primary identity? And I'm saying to you today, your primary identity, your, your who, your being is more important than your doing or going. And if you get the being right, you'll be shocked how the clarity will come in the doing and going. So I, I just made a little... Um, chart so you could see it. Your primary calling is to be a disciple and to make disciples. Your unique calling is how do you do your primary calling. You'll do your primary calling and I'll do my primary calling. We'll all do it different from each other. Your unique calling will shape how it looks in you, but not what it is. It's the same for everybody. You and I have the same calling. 
Now, you may ask this morning, what if I'm working in the wrong place? What if I'm in the wrong job? Watch, I'll show you how this works. It's more important for you to know who you're called to be than what you're called to do or where you're called to go. You can be doing the wrong thing in the wrong place, but be crystal clear about who God made you to be and be more effective than the average person. So don't stress over it too much. Don't stress over the the what and the where. Put your emphasis on the who. Who did God make you to be? When you know who you're called to be, primarily and uniquely, then the doing and the going gets so much clearer. So I want to encourage you today. Today's a day of surrender. Will you dare to step into the fog and step into the confusion and say, God, I don't know where and I don't know what, but I'm pretty sure I know who you've called me to be and I trust you to lead me. So I'm going to take a step of surrender today and say, God, guide me. Would you stand with me this morning? That's what today's about is surrender. So so here's how I want to end today. Every eye closed. I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. And here's what I want to do. I just want you to take that one hand that you held up here in worship this morning and just open your palm just in an act of surrender and take that other hand beside it and hold them both up and say, God, today... I surrender. That's, there's nothing more important today than that. God, I surrender. God, I just surrender. Lord, I surrender. Come on and just tell them, God, I surrender. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, and, and Lord, whatever my unique calling is, God, I surrender. And Lord, if, if you'll speak to me today, if you'll help me to know what that next step is, I'll take it. Just help me. Help me to know. Now, as, as, as you're just standing here in this moment of surrender, here, here's what I want to do. Some of you are struggling with a moment of surrender. Some of you are struggling with, how do I let this thing go? How do I take that next step? How do I... May, maybe it's a, a bad thing you need to let go of. Maybe it's a, a pain, a wound, a sin, a negative thought. But, there, but there's an inner conflict, if you're honest this morning, there's an inner conflict today between you and God on surrender. If that's you, with, with nobody uh, looking, would you just lift your hand and say, I just want to be honest this morning, there's a conflict in my heart. And I, 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 I hear God calling me to surrender. I can feel it in my heart. He's calling me. Yeah, thank you. You can put it right back down. Yeah. Just lift your hand up. Say, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I know God's talking to me, man. I, I, can, I can feel God urging me to do something. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you. And as I begin to pray for you, if you need prayer, I want you to come to the prayer team. Matter of fact, you can, you can even open your eyes and just find a prayer team member. And as I begin to pray, I want you just to walk toward them and just ask them, would you pray for me today? And let the Lord touch you. And as I, as I begin to pray, I want you to come. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the, for the word of God that's come to our heart to say, today it's time to surrender. Today it's time to let go.
Today it's time to lay down the things that we've been carrying. You're calling us to set the weights down that we might take up the life of Christ in God, that we might take up the journey that you've called us to do. So Lord, we, we ask you today to give us a courage and strength as we walk toward you. Name we pray. If you need prayer, I want you to come. If you need to be dismissed, I want to encourage you to stop on the way out and uh, talk to some of our 30 serve folks and see where you could serve. God bless you. Have a great day.